1: Welcome to a special joint episode of the Take It Away podcast and the Now Hear This podcast, where we're going to pay tribute and celebrate the life of our friend Ryan Brady. My name is Paul Kaminsky. I'm going to introduce myself here. I'm Chris Mercer. Paul, I'm really I'm happy to
2: be here with you in the general sense. I'm not thrilled about the circumstances, obviously, but it is a delight to be recording with you.
1: Yeah, same. The last time we were recording together... We were arguing with Ryan about water spout and <laughs> <laughs> talking about all sorts of fun things yeah. on the Cold Cuts episode of Take It Away and Now Hear This, and I went back and listened to that recently, and I didn't realize just how much fun that was. That was a lot of fun. So much fun. I mean, who yeah. who else in this universe can I talk about night out with? Well,
2: <laughs> we got a friend in me and Ryan when it came to that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Now, that was a wild little maca party we had there. Yeah. And you know, I was glad that Ryan got to talk about Cold Cuts. He'd been wanting to do that on Take It Away, and I always kind of poo pooed the idea. <laughs> we covered all these songs. And I think, as I noted on the episode, we got into it, and well, it turns out we hadn't covered all those songs.
1: <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Yeah, the, or maybe you had touched on them, and then there was more elaboration to There was had.
2: more, yeah, and there were some songs we hadn't completely
1: covered, or yeah,
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: very strange. So if anyone hasn't checked that episode out, it is it is worth a listen because there's some revelations that I thought for sure I would have realized by now that you gave me in that episode that to this day have stuck in my brain and I can't listen to the songs without them anymore. Um, in a good <laughs> well, way, you, in a good way. You had to go and get the water spout lyrics out. <laughs> <laughs> well... Actually, I do have a follow-up on that. This has nothing to do with the episode today, but I do have a follow-up on that. I was talking to my dad, who works with me on the Yesterday and Today podcast, and he was saying that one of the reasons Waterspout was pulled from All the Best was because the label thought the lyrics were too suggestive. Mm, How about that? How about that? Crazy.
2: Well, they're a little suggestive, you know, once you got into it, although no one would have noticed. No. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the most obscure suggestiveness you could come up with. That's
1: right. Yeah. Well, speaking of obscurity, the way I was introduced to the wonderful Take It Away podcast was when a listener of yours, a fellow by the name of Paul Sally, who is incidentally Jimmy mm. McCulloch's biographer, uh-huh. had posted how much he enjoyed your show, and how much he enjoyed the Return to Pepperland episode, and I thought, you know, that's an obscure thing, but one of the things I loved about Take It Away and the chemistry that you and Ryan had was that you took those moments of obscurity and you gave them a warmth and you gave them a richness, and you, for nerds like me, validated all of the years I had sunk into listening to (laughs) Atlantic Ocean or whatever, so... yeah. I thought we'd start today just talking a little bit about how you met Ryan and and how Take It Away got started. We're going to break this episode out into a couple different segments. We're going to talk a bit about the shows. We're going to talk a little bit about Ryan's music, and we're going to hear some of it. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the kinds of music that he loved and that he introduced us to. And so I guess we'll start here. Tell us how you met Ryan. Give us some first impressions. And, you know, we've heard the story of your bonding over McCartney, but maybe you can elaborate a bit on that.
2: Yeah. I mean, even the McCartney bonding story there in class has something of a of a background story because Ryan was in my classes, as everyone knows who's heard the show. He was in my classes and I remember him being in recording class. And actually, my friend Braxton, who was in that class as well, he recently pointed out to me this funny story where Ryan was telegraphing in every possible way that he liked the Beatles and he especially (laughs) liked Paul. (laughs) And so for one of his projects, he had the strings, only the strings for Eleanor Rigby and had re-edited those. And for this one day in class, I usually would bring a mic in and ask the students to bring their instruments uh, you know, one at a time, so hey, let's do guitar next time. Ryan brought his guitar and I set up a mic and started to record Ryan and he started playing Blackbird. Hmm. And after he played it, according to Braxton, I don't remember this, I said, Ah, well thanks for that obscure bit of repertoire there. Apparently, it steamed Ryan. And, uh, and and he said later on, oh, man, if I'd only known, I would have played like Hey Diddle, and it
1: would have blown his
2: mind. And it would have.
1: <laughs> oh, man, you really alpha-mailed him on the on the nerd stuff right there. It's like the goddamn Serengeti. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. But, you know, once it came
2: out, there are some really great stories. Once it came out that we were both Maca fans, the story that everyone already knows about Cage, you know, among the things that, Ryan had submitted his sound design certificate application, and I reviewed it. And that's where I found out about Cage. that He had quoted Cage in a track, but also he had written a little paper about A Wizard, A True Star. Huh. And written a little essay about how important it was to him. And I didn't know the album, as we'll discuss later. He introduced me to that. Wow. And apparently, as I see, introduced you to that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I kind of found out a lot about Ryan just in that application. Then we bonded about McCartney then he started coming over to work on songs and stuff. And we'll touch on that later. And I have to say, I did not then, and I don't now, hang out with undergrads. <laughs> but Ryan was different, you know? And I'll tell you how different. He came into class one day after we'd already done the McCartney bonding and the whole trade of hard drives and everything. Yeah. He came in and said, uh, hey, man, I got the McCartney Years DVD. I said, no, why would you do that? He said, I've got issues. I said, Okay, you coming over to watch it? And he said, How's tonight? <laughs> and we did. We we had a hilarious evening oh, watching McCartney Year's D V D and laughing at it, yeah. Just like wanna...
1: physical media i own in terms of like visual musical stuff i put that on more than anything else wow those videos my brave face spies like us hope of deliverance all those videos were just that's when i think of my childhood that's what i think of and it's one of the gifts you know my parents gave me which is this love for music and love for the beatles and mm. and that's where i got the mccartney stuff so yeah that i know his videos are crazy well. <laughs> We were
2: marveling at how the best of them weren't that different from the worst of them. It was a (laughs) subtle difference. (laughs) Watching London Town and even McCartney in the commentary is saying, gee, this looks like they just set up a camera and we fooled around, huh? I know. And so you look at So Bad and it's kind of the same thing, but there's like a magic to So Bad. And I remember us noticing that night,
1: like, why is this any better than that stupid London Town? But it sure is. (laughs) But with uh, London Town, though, I mean, where else are you going to get Victor Spinetti? (laughs) show up again in mime makeup. Yeah, he's the mime. It's funny, I learned recently that that's because those two reconnected on the Wings tour. I think Victor Spinetti had seen the 76 Wings tour. There's something there where they cross paths again. And so I have a suspicion, an unfounded suspicion, that that is why maybe Spinetti was at the top of the Rolodex for that little cameo there. But anyway, I digress.
2: Well as you'll see when we get into it later, Ryan and I were cooking up projects pretty much from the beginning. And so he was quickly coming over with his guitar or with his keyboard. He'd bring his keyboard over (laughs) and we'd work on stuff and show each other songs. And a lot of it was just showing each other things we were working on, but we started doing things together as well. Yeah. I have a feeling if he'd hung around Chicago another year or two, we probably would have really made some substantial records together, but he was out of here, man. Yeah. A-S-A-P. Yeah. Right. Off to New York right away. Visited him there a couple times during the Atlantic years. Let's call them the New York Atlantic years. Right, right. And when he was in Brooklyn. And those were both great experiences. One of them was Ryan taking me to an absinthe bar. (laughs) Oh, wow. I don't think it was a real absinthe. You know, I don't think you can get real absinthe in the United States. But the thing is that Ryan had it all worked out where he knew the bar owners. And before I knew it, he had us like, Sitting in this back room, this giant back room, by ourselves, <laughs> getting served absinthe. I'm thinking, how'd you pull this off, man? Like, That's ha- amazing. Yeah, crowded ass Brooklyn, and there we are. We've got a whole giant room to ourselves.
1: Wow, that is so funny. <laughs> a classic Ryan story, right? Just working it. <laughs> <laughs> and he loved New York too. You know, I he had often talked about wanting to go back, maybe, but he just felt like L.A. was where he belonged. You know, right now, particularly, but. He had often sort of fantasized and at some point in the last couple of years got close to thinking maybe he was going to go back and then he didn't. But
2: Interesting. I, we had a, a bitter disagreement about L.A. and New York because I always argued that, and this is, get in trouble with this, but I always liked L.A. more. And uh, felt you could spread out a little more in LA, and life was a little more normal. And life feels a little crazy <laughs> in New York. Yeah, but I could see a person liking that, and
1: I could see Ryan liking that energy. Actually, yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, he had that duality in him, right? He had those two sides. He had the crazier side, and he had the nerdier, like let's kick back and stay in and watch the McCartney year side. You yeah, know, <laughs> like that's there right. was <laughs> the LA side. Yeah, the LA side. Right. <laughs> those two aspects of him and it's interesting to think about that duality and and how he thrived in both New York and LA under both those different circumstances. He really was a remarkably flexible person. Yes. In terms of people and places and Yeah. And music too. And I think that just comes down to his attitude. And I don't know if this is something that you had imparted on him or something that he had just picked up over the years, but you know, he always used to say like, "Hey, it doesn't matter like genre, anything like that." If somebody's putting their heart and soul on a record, the least you could do is listen to it objectively hmm. and not judge it Yeah, before you heard it or, you know, just listen to it for what it is. It's somebody putting their humanity out there.
2: Yeah, I suspect that's not something I imparted. That's something that we shared that made us connect in the first place. Just. You know, open-mindedness about, yeah, people trying to make records, man. It's
1: hard. (laughs) Appreciate a good snare sound, for God's sake. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So we heard a little bit about how Take It Away got started when you guys posted the episode that was a live Q&A from the college you work at, right? Yes, yes. And so we did hear a little bit about how it got started, but just for people who haven't listened to that episode, can you give us a little bit of an overview about who approached you, how did take it away kind of form? You guys had already been making music. How did this develop? It's a great story because this was a time, I think it
2: was 2015-ish, and this was a time when I was learning to collaborate. So I made it well into my 40s. (laughs) it's not really a collaborator. But at that time I had a few projects, one with Ryan, one with a friend, Rodolfo Vieira. Uh, I think I'd already started on the project with Rodolfo. So I was warming up to the idea of working with someone long-term on a project. And Ryan, we always had these crazy conversations in the middle of the night. I would just text him at you know, 11 o'clock and he'd just call me back. And we'd talk about Paul McCartney for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) So, or whatever, but often Paul McCartney um, specifically. And so, yeah. And so I guess we were both independently getting way into podcasts just as one of our favorite things to listen to and to do with your time and sources of information. Ryan surprised me. I think we had just had one of our conversations and he started telling me about the James Bonding this podcast he was listening to about James Bond. He said, you know, this is just some guys and they just happen to know a lot about this and they're just talking about it. And it's wonderful. I could listen to it all day. Couldn't we do this with Paul McCartney? And uh, I was in a, a certain mindset where I just said, yeah, we could, let's do it. Yeah. I just said, yeah, let's do it. Thinking, eh, nothing will come of it. <laughs> I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just say yes. And we'll fantasize about it for a few weeks and then, you know, the idea will blow by. But it didn't. We actually started making notes, making plans, drawing up episode ideas, season ideas. And before we knew it, we were recording episode one and I was editing it. And so, yeah, it really, he came up with the idea and it was just about, Hey, we're having these great conversations anyway. Why don't we just record them? And put them out. I bet people would want to hear them. But, of course, that's not what we ended up doing (laughs) because we're both a couple of maniacs. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't just conversations. But, you know, we still tried to keep it basically conversational.
1: I mean, I feel like a lot of podcasts start with the idea, oh, we're talking about this stuff anyway. Let's just put it out there. Mm -hmm. But I think the real test of a podcast is, is there actual chemistry? And do you have the stamina to keep it going and keep yeah. the quality up. Yeah. Now that's one of the things that impressed me so much about Take It Away is because you guys had a great structure. There was a regularity to it, but there was also this wonderful chemistry in listening to it just as a listener, mm. I found myself relating to both of you at different times. Mm. And there would be sometimes where I'd be like, Ryan, what are you talking about? And then there'd be <laughs> like, sometimes where I'd be like, come on, Chris, you know, cut, <laughs> cut, I'm carrying a break or whatever. Like just like whatever it was, I don't remember what it was, but there was a, no, I think it was the Michael Jackson songs. So you guys were taking a dump on the man or whatever. And I was just like, you fucking asshole. Um, but it was, boy, it was, it felt like a, it felt like a clubhouse, you know, it felt like mm. going and hanging out in a clubhouse. And it's funny. I mentioned that to Ryan one time we were having lunch. And uh, I told him, yeah, it's like, you know, hanging out. We're like hanging out in a clubhouse. And and he was like, yeah, you know, that is kind of right. And I found out later that that wound up being one of the inspirations for him to want to create the Take It Away group, which we know a lot of the listeners who are listening today are part of that Take It Away group on Facebook. I would encourage everyone, well, A, to not go on, Facebook if you can avoid it. But if you do, (laughs) definitely go and check out the Take It Away group. It is just this beautiful community that was, again, fostered by this art that you and Ryan made. It thrives to this day. You know, Ryan is is no longer with us, but and yet his community is there. Yeah. It is still active, and people are still
3: talking.
2: Yeah, and what kept us going, you know, you talk about the stamina, and there is stamina. I can remember finishing editing an episode, a three-hour behemoth, at 1 a.m. and listening through it a second time or something and thinking, man— am I really going to do more of these? (laughs) How can I keep doing this? (laughs) Especially when we got into the later albums and we weren't talking about our childhood favorites anymore. It really was like we were having to learn about these albums in in a much bigger way and get to know them. But what kept us going was the fact that we had an audience. I think we would have closed shop after season two if no one had been listening. Because by the end of season two, we had talked about most of what we wanted to talk about. We agreed we wanted to cover Macca into the 80s and if it fell apart at that point, we were comfortable because we just wanted to talk about those albums. Yeah. And when it turned out we had an audience, it got us through you know, the hard work of continuing to do it because it was like, you know, a few thousand people are going to check this out tomorrow. So I'm willing to put another hour
1: in to get this right. Yeah. So I guess the last album that McCartney released... In Ryan's lifetime was uh, Egypt Station. Can you tell me a little bit about, you mentioned, you know, having to learn about them. Can you tell me a little bit about what some of the differences were in recording an episode reactions as like Egypt Station versus recording an episode reaction to a classic Wings album like yeah. Ram or Band on the Run or something? Because like you said, you had to learn it. But it's also like when you're listening to something a first time, it hits you in a different way. So can you tell us a little bit about the differences there?
2: It, almost like
1: dealing with a different artist.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about a classic Wings album or an early 80s Macca thing, I mean, you know, that stuff's in our bones. So Mm. we could, even though, yes, we did a ton of research, we still knew so much in our bones about those albums and where they sat in McCartney's legacy. Whereas Egypt Station, or even some of the ones like New... Or mm. even Chaos and Creation, even going back
1: that far, they were relatively new to us. You were kind to New, as I recall, or kinder than I thought you were going to be. And I was so happy that you, <laughs> whenever you like a song that I like, I got very excited. And so you were very kind to Queenie Eye. And I remember thinking, Oh, I like yes. that one. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was, okay, New's a good example,
2: as as good as Egypt Station, where how much did I listen to it when it came out? I listened to the song, Ryan and I touch base about it, but mm, it wasn't as if I'd lived with it for years of my life the way, for better or worse, Wings Wildlife, I have. (laughs) So Egypt Station, it's more like, I guess, having a more standard review show where you've got this new material, you've had a little time to get to know. We had had a year by the time we did the episode. The research is harder because there aren't stacks of books to go through on this. There's whatever you can dig up online, interviews you can find. Really, it feels more like primary research in that case. And you haven't absorbed it in the same way. And you have to understand that your review of it or your episode on it will be more contingent than that Red Rose Speedway one was. Yeah. My attitudes about Egypt Station could change a lot in the coming years. So what I said about that, probably not as solid or locked in as what I said about 70s Wings,
1: you know. Yeah. My feelings on Egypt Station have changed in the context of McCartney 3. And it's funny how that happens. You know, The albums before and after it can sometimes paint your perception of the one that you're reviewing. Were you ever self-conscious of not skewing too negative on the off chance that you and Ryan actually talked to Paul.
2: We weren't super careful about that. And it wasn't hard to avoid being careful about it because we have such strong opinions Mm. about the stuff. The more recent stuff, we're just disposed toward liking Paul. So we're going to let things go that a, a harsher critic wouldn't. But we're trying to be honest. And we always had the attitude that, hey, if we get to interview Paul, it'll be because we had integrity. I, I'd like right. to think it would be because and if the show is successful, it's because it had integrity and we were honest. So we didn't pull our punches. I think it's pretty clear in a few episodes that we weren't pulling our punches.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> Some mean, of us th- got into big trouble <laughs> at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, it's all done out of love. Um, yeah, yeah. And the opinion is part of the fun, right? Yeah. And I think you guys always stayed respectful no matter what you thought. I have to say the opinion was only a one component
2: of the show, too. I mean, the show had information. It had a lot of audio examples. It had analysis, which is a little different from opinion, although it may involve mm-hmm. opinion. And then it had, hey, I like this. I don't like this. It was just right. one of the aspects of the show. It used to frustrate me when sometimes people would call it a review show or an opinion show. It was like,
1: Yeah, it has opinion, but it's not just opinion. Well yeah, and that's one of the things and I think we touched on this in the Colcuts episode, but it's one of the things I really appreciated about your perspective and Ryan's too, was that when it comes to a musical like a technical musical vocabulary, that's where I fall down. You know, I don't hmm. I have some musical training, like a little bit, you know, and I dabble. But hearing you talk about chord structure and interesting rhymes and here's these couplets and, you know, just all these interesting terms actually got me thinking about how I was listening to Paul differently Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have been thinking of that stuff. And so that's another thing I really appreciate about. Now, obviously, Ryan had musical background, too. Yes, he did. Is there anything that ever surprised you going through and listening with a critical ear on that kind of musical structure standpoint about one of the songs or albums that you discussed on the show that maybe you hadn't considered before talking about it with Ryan?
2: Well, first of all, thanks for saying that. I'm glad I was able to bring some of that without just dragging the whole thing down and just being a pedant. Because no, I found <laughs> because it interesting. I really,
1: like legitimately.
2: There were times that I did cut stuff out where I was like, you know what, nobody wants to hear you go on about the freaking chords. I did that to both of us. There were times we would get too technical and I would chop it out. But by the way, quick aside... Just because you chop something out doesn't mean it wasn't useful. Like when you're doing a conversation like this. Yeah. I would go down a path sometimes that I knew as I was saying it, I would cut it out. Especially references to my own music, I would tend to cut out. Not appropriate, usually on the show, I felt. But the fact that I brought it up, it kept the conversation percolating. And so the stuff we did use was influenced by the stuff we cut out. Maybe you found that on Now Hear This as well. But there were quite a few cases where songs turned out to be simpler than I had ever realized, and I like them anyway. Yeah. Those are the most magical revelations. It's like, you know, there's not that much to this. I don't even know why I love this so much. <laughs> I'm smart enough to know better, but it's not about that. It's magical
1: somehow, you know. Um, those are the yeah. best ones, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you get to know a song better when you play it. Absolutely, yeah. Or even an artist's approach better when you play it. You're able to step into their head a little bit. It gets you thinking in those different ways. But I don't know if I would have been thinking in those ways if it wasn't for you two. Well, that's great to hear. It ruins a few things when you start
2: listening too closely. Sometimes yes. it does. <laughs> you, you, like if you can quickly see the formula, then yeah, it's harder to be impressed. I often make the analogy, it's like being a musician, a trained musician. It's a little sometimes like being a magician, watching other magicians. And you know the tricks, right? So you know how this is done. The question is, are they doing it in a way that's so artful that, despite you knowing the trick, it gets to you anyway? Yeah, that's really incredible. I, I mean, I hope magicians have that experience, but I can tell you, musicians know the tricks too. Sure. And we have this experience sometimes of like, you know, I know that's just fricking one six four five, but damn. It's perfect, (laughs) you know, or
1: whatever. It comes down to is somebody taking you by surprise, you know, or going against type in some interesting way. You get to know these artists so well that you start to know their tricks, their specific bag of tricks, too. I know we're not talking about McCartney 3 today, but that's when certain songs on McCartney 3 or even some tracks on Egypt Station, when they jump out to me as like, whoa, like if I step back and go, whoa, he did that. Mm-hmm. You know, those surprises. I, yeah. I learned to treasure those surprises. Like I think of a song like Mr. Bellamy on Memory Almost Full. And I think in the context of Paul's later career, that kind of Ram-esque whimsy wasn't really popping up all that often. And so when I try, I remember thinking this at the time when Mr. Bellamy happened, I'm, I, I actually went, ah, like I was excited by it, you know, surprised.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so when Take It Away rapped, well, we didn't exactly rap. But when we got through Egypt Station, we were pretty much done. And there were, you know, decisions to be made about what to do next and if we should do anything next. And so we agreed to go on hiatus. And I was awfully surprised when Ryan said he was going to spend his hiatus doing some other podcast. (laughs) 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 Ryan... Didn't you need a break? And he was like, "Man, I need a break from Take It Away." Okay, this is this is low key. Okay, I'm looking forward to this. Like, all right, man, do another podcast. So, how did
1: now hear this get started? What's the deal with that? Yeah, well, uh, my brother and I started doing a Jack White podcast around the same time you guys started Take It Away. That's called The Third Man, and we've been doing that since tail end of 2016. And oh, and a little bit of background:
2: when he went on there the first time, yeah. I declined to go on because I didn't know enough about Jack White. Yes, I remember I remember just feeling, no, this will be embarrassing, Ryan. He was pushing me to do it anyway. I was like, (laughs) Ryan, I don't want to do all that research, and it'll be embarrassing if I don't. (laughs) it It was all good. I was just a fan. Well,
1: you know, it's funny. Our show is a little bit different, but we were doing kind of similar things to what you and ryan were doing just in terms of like let's keep it positive let's keep it jovial let's give history but also like have a bit of fun and so when i heard take it away i felt a kinship in that sense because i was already doing that at a very amateur level because i'm not in the music business by profession i'm in the comic book business but i learned all this stuff just on my own in my free time and so like what you guys were doing, this, the quality of your audio, all this stuff, it felt very, like, polished, you know, to me, And because we were just learning as we were going, right? And you do it enough times, you put in your 10,000 hours, and you kind of get there, right? <laughs> the old 10,000. Right. So I'm, you know, I'm somewhere in the 80s, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Still, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I felt a kinship there, and and so that's when I reached out to Ryan and you know, I asked him to come on because we always have a uh, guest on the show, so we thought, yeah, we'd like to talk to both of you guys. And so, anyway, yeah, Ryan wound up coming on and we wound up getting along really well. And I realized he lived down the street from me in LA and worked literally down the street, like a block from me. Wow, he was still yeah. at Warner at the time when they were in Burbank. And so, yeah, we all, we went to the same restaurants. We went to the same, you know, it was that kind of thing. So anyway, we wound up meeting up for breakfast burritos one morning, just sort of talking about McCartney and taking it away. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I think this guy's going to be my friend for life. Like one of those moments, like right in that time. And we wound up going to see Denny Lane together shortly after that. And we wound up going to see that Bruce McMouse movie in the theater. And, mm-hmm. and we hung out a few times and it was when we did bruce mcmouse that ryan just showed up in the car with the recorder with a with a portable recorder we hadn't planned on it he just showed up with this recorder yeah recording a podcast as he was walking (laughs) into the car i was in somewhere in the 50s in my ten thousand hours at that point and so all right we just jumped right into it and we recorded an episode going to see bruce mcmouse and that wound up running on on the take it away yes it did feed which i was excited about that because that was yeah was my favorite podcast so like i was like i remember getting a lot of positive feedback too yeah so i got to thinking i was like shit we could make a show out of this and maybe it'll be a show of us driving around la and listening to albums and talking about them because that's what we did to go to bruce mcmouse so i sent right an email and i said hey i have something to pitch you let me come by and at that point he had moved to nice life So I went to Nice Life on a Saturday and I pitched him on the idea. I said, well, you know, it'll be like, it'll be Take It Away and Third Men, but any artist. Because at the time I was thinking like, I'd really, I like talking about Jack White all the time. And I like talking about Beatles all the time. But there's all these other albums and all these other artists that I love too. And I have no space to nerd out with them on this kind of a forum. So let's just do that. And let's pick albums and bounce around a bit. And he liked the idea. And it was going to be called Take the Wheel, Hmm. It was going to be called like, you know, if it was a Todd Rundgren album, it would be like Todd Take the Wheel because we were going to be driving. Uh But by meeting number two, uh, we were like, yeah, that doesn't seem like (laughs) we should do that at all. and That seems like a terrible idea. Yeah. But we like the nugget of let's dwell on a different album. And so that's when Now here This Was Born. And as McCartney nerds, we were looking for a name. And there's that wonderful RAM radio press kit where Paul sings now hear this a bunch of times now hear this song yes. of mine <laughs> Now hear this with oh, that let's just call it that <laughs> Now hear this song of mine Now hear
4: this, now hear this song of mine now hear
1: this. Yeah Ryan was still at Nice Life we met at my job a bit we met at his job a bit and we sort of just put it together and we spent a year preparing the thing and we just had a ball it was so much fun just we kept him an hour breezy did a bit of research we treated it like take it away light is what ryan used to say it's like take Mm -hmm. it away light like we'll do the research we'll do our homework but we can keep it a little more top level because you can't do the deep dive on all of these artists you know like i don't know fiery furnaces as well as i know paul mccartney you know but i know enough about that album to want to talk about it and that was the beautiful thing about now here this is because not only did i get all of ryan's records and learn about those albums and get that different point of view it was almost like forced exposure right Mm -hmm. yeah but i got to learn more about these artists that i like because i was doing research about their background you know and so it was just advantageous on both ends yeah so yeah, we got through two seasons and we have a few more in the can actually. And it was just so much fun to do just to dwell. I don't know if you ever get like that when you're like, I need a break from Beatles for a minute and I'm just going to go trip off on this other thing for a while.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, most of my life I'm taking a break from Beatles actually. <laughs> 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 I rarely listen to the Beatles <laughs> at this point. But yeah, you're right. You have your main obsessions and it's nice to be able to just, yeah, find a, a lovely rabbit hole and settle in there for a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, to have a, a trusted person to introduce you to a bunch of stuff. That's a cool thing about that show is you're just showing each other, like kind of giving the guided tour. Yes. You know, which is a fun thing to do in real life, too. If Someone comes over and you're like, you haven't heard this album? Okay, yes. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. I'm going to play it. We're going to listen to it, you know. Right. yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> just being able to talk to Ryan about Brian Wilson for an hour. Yes, Our, our favorite hamburger boy. Just... so much fun, you know, and we had a ball. We always, we tried to do them in person and we did like one recording session in person in 2020 before the pandemic hit. And then we were all remote, but you know, we got to bring our wives on and, you know, Annabelle Jones and my wife, Susanna Roundtree, they both appeared on the show and I don't want to dwell personally on too much of the, the sadness associated with Ryan's passing, but I will say this. I feel very lucky that I have, you know, whatever it is, 27 hours of audio of Ryan and I talking and joking and having fun, you know? And that's a real blessing, you know? I could have easily not have had that. And I do, and I feel very, very fortunate about it.
2: Yeah, it's amazing to me, all those hours that we recorded. Amazing. That that's just there. I haven't had the heart lately to go back to it, but one day I will. And I'll have, whatever that is, 46 hours of me and Ryan
1: talking about a very precise topic. Incredible. So I guess from here, I mentioned at the top that we have different segments in this episode today. This first segment was talking about the podcast and what we'd like to do now and what we'll do at various interludes throughout the show is to kick it to you guys and some friends and family of Ryan have contributed some memories we're going to hear some colleagues and some listeners such as yourselves so should we kick it to some other Ryan memories from some other folks now what do you say sounds fantastic <laughs>
5: Hey, Paul and Chris. uh first off, just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I have really enjoyed both of your podcasts over the years. My name is Mike Burke. I went to high school with Ryan, and you know was lucky enough to be pretty good friends with him out here in l a My contribution is it's less of an individual anecdote than it is an observation of how Ryan lived his life and the example that he said that that kind of beautiful example that he said that maybe some people could take with them. You know, I had enough conversations with Ryan, you know, during those late nights out in LA here in text chains that I know he recognized that life, it sometimes can be, more than anything, just can be shit. It can be rough and painful and tragic and soul-crushing. But amidst all the pain that the world can deliver, it can also give us such... Pure unadulterated happiness, and Ryan, more than anyone that I knew, realized that when you find that happiness, you have to embrace it, you have to hold on to it tightly, to revel in it all that you can, and that's what he did. You know, amidst all the, the shit that you can see in the world, he found his seeds of happiness, he found his his diamonds in a, a hellscaped rough, you know, he loved music. And with how much he loved music, he formed a band and he played like got countless instruments. And, you know, maybe he didn't quite make it in, you know, big in a world famous rock band, but he pursued his passion and he worked with a music label to, um, to elevate those people around him. And he formed not one, but two podcasts, uh, as you guys know, to indulge deeply in the music and the albums and the people that he loved. And I feel like that's what Ryan taught me above all else, is that when he had an interest or a passion or a thing he loved or people he loved, or most of all the the love of his life, Annabelle, he held on to them and he spent as much time with them as he could and he let that joy suffuse him every single day. And that's really all you can ask for a person. The fact that he found this, you know, skeleton key to happiness in his far too short time with us is truly amazing when ryan passed i uh i look back at the text messages that we had and he and i were both huge fans of ghostbusters i'm sure anyone who knows him knows how much he loved the ghostbusters with his uh the uniform fully like you know, uniform that was reminiscent of the one in the movies that he made and uh my last text with him was a classic line from the film, you know, when they're about to cross streams and Dr. Vinkman says, I'll see you on the other side, Ray. And I, I still can't believe that's, that's the last thing that I was able to say to him. I'll see you on the other side, Ray. <laughs> I almost break down into tears every time I think about it. But the most, heartening thing I can say about Ryan and thing I think about and the thing that brings me joy is that truly whether or not there is a quote you know other side that doesn't matter because Ryan brought us so much joy and shared so much love on this side you know the only side that we know and that really matters that even amidst the genuine sadness i feel about his loss i more so feel joy just about simply knowing him and calling him a friend that's where ryan left me and so again thank you guys paul and chris i appreciate you guys doing this and and thank you ryan for being the man that you were we love you
6: Hi everyone, my name is Timothy Malcolm, I'm here in Houston, and I'm a 30-something music nerd just like Ryan, just like Paul. I found Take It Away in late 2017, I'm a huge Paul McCartney fan, and I was instantly drawn to Ryan because of his exuberance, his excitement talking about McCartney and music. So I followed him to Now Hear This, and the first episode they ever did was Ryan talking about how much he loved A Wizard of True Star by Todd Rundgren. I am a huge A Wizard of True Star fan, I'm a big Todd fan. And I did not know that there was anybody else under the age of 40 who loved Todd Rundgren that much. So that meant that I had to know everything about Ryan. Like, I had to get in touch with this guy. And I started talking to him. I started doing social media for Now Hear This, and that was a really fun time for me. I'm heartbroken still. We miss Ryan. I miss Ryan. I miss hearing his voice in my headphones. He had such passion and excitement for great music. And I just really hope that I can continue to share... What I love about music, just in the way that he did with everybody else, I think that's the legacy that he has, that he shared so much love for music. If we all can do that, the world's a better place, no matter what. So, I love you, Ryan. I miss you, Ryan. And hopefully, we can continue to do your good work down here on Earth. Thanks.
7: Hello, my name is Riley, and I am Ryan's cousin. So Ryan was a really remarkable family member to have, um, particularly in the fact that he was so generous with his time. I think as the oldest of the Brady cousins, he really felt a responsibility to be there for us, and he always showed up. I mean he was always the person who would just like reach out on a random day just to check in you know email text and wanted like an honest answer even if it was you know 10 pages long or two words long i don't really know anyone else who does that and that just makes him so extraordinary One memory I wanted to share was just a time that I'll always remember. It was when I was maybe 11 or 12 and I got my first acoustic guitar and Ryan was over for some family party and he knew I was a big fan of the Beatles too, so he was just saying to me, I can play any Beatles song on the guitar. What do you want to hear? And it wasn't in a bragging way. It was just a way of, like, he genuinely wanted to be able to play me the song that I would most like to hear. And I just could not believe that, you know, he must have been maybe 19 at the time. And he knew all these hundreds of songs on the guitar I could name the most obscure thing. And, yeah, he would just do a little noodle and there it was. He really set the bar incredibly high for what I see as like a true musician, a true music fan, a true music lover. And with that, I just wanted to give a little music back um, in Ryan's memory. Thank you. There are places I remember son
8: this is Karen Brady. I'm Ryan's aunt and wanted to share a personal story about Ryan. When he first moved to New York to start in the music business, he really did start from ground zero, so to speak. We were impressed that he chose to move out of Illinois and begin something that wasn't in his field of study, which was economics at Northwestern, but rather focused on his great passion and great love of music. So when I say he started from scratch, he really did. And he relayed stories of how tiny his apartment was and how small his office area or cubicle was at Atlantic. He also talked about how there were many celebrities that would stop in periodically throughout the day and that so many people were starstruck. I used to tease him all the time about sending me any gossip, scandal, rumors, dirt on anybody, everybody, and he would just roll his eyes. The thing that was so impressive about Ryan is that while these famous singers and producers were walking all over the office and so many of the employees were starstruck, he said it was important to him that everyone be treated the same. He felt that people that were delivering his mail to the executives should all be treated with respect and all be treated in a like manner so as not to differentiate just because of their celebrity or wealth or status within the company. So it was very funny when he would relay stories of how people who did treat individuals very differently never got their mail, but Ryan, because he treated everybody kindly and with respect, he got everything on time and everything delivered properly. So he was always an impressive and kind-hearted individual on every level. Of course, he talked music and what everybody else's preferences were, but he was more interested in hearing what everybody else liked to listen to than to brag about any accomplishments that he had. He was just an amazing, amazing young man and such a joy to have in our family. He will be so missed.
5: Ryan Brady showed me just how bonkers Paul McCartney is. And he did it in the sweetest, most engaging way. (laughs) Every time I'm down, I just think of Ryan Brady and him talking about (laughs) armadillos sweeping on a pillow. (laughs) I, I loved listening to Ryan talk about music. And I can't imagine what a joy it must have been to be his friend and to know him in real life. And I'm devastated, uh, along with so many people, that he passed too young. But boy, what a lot of joy he definitely brought. And uh, I, I thank him so much for that.
9: Brendan Frank. I am Patrick Frank's younger brother, the middle of the Frank boys. I wanted to share a quick story about Ryan. I knew Ryan in his, I guess his early days back in high school. This would have been, I met Ryan in 2003 or 2004. And, uh, you know, obviously through my older brother, Patrick, um, who is heavily involved, uh, in Ryan's, you know, friendship and music career. And so I play guitar in, uh, the televangelists. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have access to those recordings right now. But uh, you know, I'd love to go back and uh, and listen to him. And you know, the memories that I have of Ryan are just being the kind of the mad scientist that he was with his Tascam four-track recorder that we would use um, in his basement in Arlington Heights, at his parents' house. I remember the day that Ryan got his uh, brand new Rickenbacker bass that he was just so excited about, and uh, it was so cool, kind of being a fly on the wall during the recording process of that album, and then obviously watching him blossom into the just wildly creative and incredible musician um, that he is. I have a unique story that I don't think I've told anybody before, even Patrick, when I was a junior or a sophomore. I don't remember which year it was. Anyway, I was in high school, and um, there was this girl that I was planning on asking to prom, and her name was Julie and there was this really fun Fountains of Wayne song called Hey Julie, and I approached Ryan about it. And I said, Hey, Ryan, could you help me record this song? Uh, you know, there's a girl that I want to ask the prom and I want to do it through this song. I'm going to hide the CD in her car stereo. So when she turns on her car, she'll hear the song. Um, and you know, Ryan of course obliged and, uh, we spent an afternoon in his basement recording and, I was so self-conscious about singing because it was the first time that I had ever sang in front of anybody else. I prided myself on being uh, an instrumentalist, you know, a guitar player and a trumpet player, and I'd never actually sung before in front of anybody, and uh, I was just having a really, really hard time with all the vocal takes, and, and Ryan was just incredibly gracious and understanding, and he coached me through the whole session, and we ended up getting a really, really cool recording that, you know, he mixed together and, and it turned out great. And, um, it's just a really unique memory, um, that I, and I, I kind of always will remember Ryan in that light of just being a really warm, accepting, uh, you know, just very gracious and just a wonderful, wonderful guy. I, I. Didn't speak to him very much uh, after, you know, he graduated college and went on to Northwestern and then on to bigger and better things. But, you know, every time I think about Ryan, that's kind of the era that my mind goes to is like early to mid 2000s, you know, in his basement in Arlington Heights, uh, either recording stuff with the televangelists or, you know, him walking me through how to, how to not suck at vocals. (laughs) So, uh, anyway, I hope some part of this, um,
10: is usable. Take care. Hi there. My name is Jay Troop. I live in New York city and I just wanted to share a couple memories of my dear friend, Mr. Ryan Brady. I first met Ryan back in 2010. And uh, we played together with uh, my band at the time, So So So, with Pat Frank. He came down for a, a gig at one point, and we got to play some Ryan Brady songs and some So 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 songs at a gig in D.C., and it was just a blast to get to know him. Fast forward a couple years, he, Pat, and I started this great song club that wound up growing to include a whole cast of characters that kind of rotated through it over the about like two, two and a half years that we had it active where we would send each other a demo of a song every 10 days. Um, and it was so awesome to have that kind of um, pressure and that kind of um, community and friendship based around the demos. Like sometimes, I remember the first couple Ryan Brady demos I ever heard, I just, I, I was blown away at how good he could make his record sound. <laughs> And I was so focused on getting stuff to sound good live, I just didn't know how to record like that at home. I remember the first the first Ryan Brady demo I ever heard um, was "You're Not Worth It," and I I it made me so jealous. And the first couple song club songs made me so jealous. But it was it was so fun to watch this evolve and get better together. And sometimes it was a full demo, and sometimes it was just us singing into an iPhone. But um, he always had a way of like drawing out the gems of an idea and giving really great constructive feedback. And it really, it definitely changed my writing. I go back to a lot of the stuff that I wrote for Song Club now, and I can hear his influence on me. And it's just so special to have all of that. Um, It was an incredible experience. It was really intense. We wrote a ton. Um, uh, I wound up Making a whole album out of the songs that I wrote with Song Club. I know some of the uh, songs from Song Club wound up um, being part of Ryan's Abject Joy project uh, and i got to work on some of that with him he played on uh, a number of songs um, from from my record um it was just so fun and i like one of my fondest memories of song club is i was doing a ton of traveling at the time i was going back and forth to europe and i would have these long morning walks into the office and every time it was song club day like i had this awesome set of brand new music from a bunch of people that i was friends with and writing with that would have been like dropped into a Google Drive the night before. And it was just such a thrill. I remember the first time I heard his song, uh, We Are in Space. It was a cold morning, early, there was no one out. I'm walking through the streets of Vienna, in the old, old town of Vienna um from my hotel and about a half hour walk to, to to work and like picking my way through the 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 google drive and and thinking about like my song that i i'd I turned in the night before and like ryan brady's we are in space comes on and it's like all over the place and it just keeps on repeating the thing like we're made of stars we're made of stars and i felt so connected to my friend who was a nine hour time difference away Working, like we were working alongside each other, recording in hotel rooms, recording on our phones, like making demos whenever and however we could. And that connection, that community um, just meant the world. Absolutely a formative musical experience for me, a huge life experience for me. And Ryan was also one of those friends that was just always there if I really needed him. I had one of my lowest points um, in the last five years. I needed to get out of New York City, and I just called him and showed up at his place and, like, stayed for five days. He was so good to take me in like that and, like, um, be able to focus on what we could work on together and support each other and, like, build to something better. He was always reaching, and I so, so deeply respect that. Um, So... Ryan, I I miss you so much. Ryan, I'm so grateful that I've got these songs and that we got to write together and that I've got these demos and your feedback on my demos. And um, the world's just a harder place without you. Um, But thank you for leaving so many of us with um, so much of your love and your light um, with the time you had. Miss you, buddy. Love you. See you when I see you.
11: Ryan was one half of my favorite podcast. Take it away. The complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. This fantastic podcast delved into the entirety of Paul McCartney's solo career with wit, charm, eloquence and a huge dollop of humour. Two Maca fanboys dissect the albums, singles and many, many other tracks, released and unreleased. And if you've listened to episode one of Generation Mix, you'll know the Beatles are my favourite band and it is not hard to conclude that Paul is comfortably my favourite Beatle. However... I'd become jaded, perhaps even embarrassed about my McCartney fandom since the early 90s, getting each new release with decreasing enthusiasm. However, on finding and working through that podcast, my interest returned. The Facebook group was and is a delight. In lockdown, inspired by revisiting the podcast for the second time, I undertook to listen through every one of Paul's studio albums, one a day in chronological order, followed by the collections of singles and bonus tracks. It took me 36 days. I found songs I loved, songs I loathed, songs I barely knew and songs that did a complete 180 in my assessment of them over the years. I posted my analyses on that Facebook group and loved reading the comments. The Facebook group has become one of my favorite online spaces with people I don't really know feeling like they're friends. That group and its parent podcasts are a huge part of the inspiration behind Generation Mix. I didn't know Ryan beyond a message or three, asking permission to promote this podcast on the Facebook group, which was granted with grace and trademark humour. There will, of course, be a McCartney episode of this podcast in the future, and I had planned to ask Ryan to guest on it over Zoom. A newfound, revitalised love of Paul's music is the undoubted fruit of that podcast. My excitement levels for the forthcoming McCartney 3 are finally back to the level of the 15-year-old me eager to get his birthday hands on Flowers in the Dirt. That excitement was only matched by the anticipation of new Take It Away episodes. That Ryan was loved by people he had never met is evident From the outpouring of grief and sorrow on our little corner of the internet. So before normal services resumed, I just wanted to pay this tribute to Ryan Brady and express my condolences to his widow Annabelle. Thank you, Ryan, for so much more than you could have known. Rest in peace.
12: My name is Nick Chandler, and I had the joy of getting to know Ryan back in 2013. We both moved to L.A. within a few weeks of each other and within a few blocks of each other and had a mutual friend, Max Phillips, and hung out because Max said we were both cool and Max was at least half right. Uh, Ah, You know, I am really absolutely struggling to put into words how important Ryan was, not just in that point in my life, but even now. His sense of community, his ability to lift people up all around him, his humor, <laughs> his his ability to light up a room, I, all, all of it is is something that I... I will always aspire to. I don't have a good one story to describe Ryan or, you know, I think the stories that I have with Ryan are not unique. It's one thing I'm, I've been actually kind of enjoying hearing a lot of people's stories about Ryan is that most of my stories about Ryan really are about times that he really uplifted me out of a potentially dark scenario or a time where I was just bummed out and through just good conversation and through good energy and sometimes through music and sometimes not, suddenly I the world felt much more palatable and I'd feel so much hope and I have so many different little moments like that. Getting to know Ryan and the more I talk to other people, the more I'm Enjoying to hear how much he did that for others and I think Ryan had this Incredible ability to make an acquaintance feel like a close friend Not through some trick and not through any kind of gimmick or raw charisma But through something substantial through an ability to listen deeply and not just listen But to understand and and respect I felt capable of bringing maybe perplexing thoughts that I had. Some thoughts that I didn't know even what my own opinion of my own thoughts are. And I never felt judged. I always felt like I was able to, I could talk about anything with him and never feel judged and always feel capable, feel more capable to approach problems in my life. And I think he just, his confidence and the way he looked at the world, is was contagious his humor, the way he told stories, the way he tilt his head a bit and kind of point his finger when he had something kind of witty to say. There are so many little things about him that I, I think are inexplicable and are things that individually I, uh, I already miss so much. I know that I'll be carrying him with me for the rest of my life, and I can only hope to exude a... a a fraction of the energy that I felt come off of him. One of the single most inspiring people I've ever met in my life. I can't, I, I... There's such a, it's just such a tragedy. I'll stop here, because I, I think trying to put this all into words is so difficult, and I, I, I don't know if I can do better than, than that. And I, I just want to thank uh, everybody who's doing this. He's putting this up. Thank you so much for doing this. And I, I'm just so grateful. Thank you. My
0: name is Kasha. And I became friends with Ryan the summer before we started the same college near Chicago. We sent each other a lot of music, so I wanted to share three songs that make me think of him. And I should mention that I'm not a big fan of speaking into microphones, so to mess with me, Ryan would sometimes stick a fake microphone in my face when I wanted to say something. So I wanted to honor him by speaking into a real mic first song is a Curvile cover of Randy Newman's Pretty Boy, and it's actually one of the last songs I remember sending Ryan. When we met, it was really clear we both loved music, but had sprinted uh, in sort of opposite directions from the point in time. When we both joined Earth, which was around 1985-86, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of everything from before we were born. But I wanted to be a music journalist, so I listened to a lot of new artists. Sometimes the song merged both our ends of space-time, though, and this is definitely one of them. As I got to know Ryan, I very quickly learned that I would find out everything about his favorite artists, whether I wanted to or not. So I took this as an invitation to essentially do the same. And since Ryan loved Paul McCartney, I wanted him to like someone I deeply admired. So the next song is New York by St. Vincent, also known as Annie Clark. Ryan first moved to New York when we were still roommates. And I remember we threw him a going away party and he posed in front of a really crabby poster of the Statue of Liberty. We wanted a banner that said good luck, but all we could find on short notice was welcome home. And the night somehow ended with cake in his face. There's one line that always reminds me of him that repeats throughout the song, which is, you're the only motherfucker in the city who can handle me, and then later ends with stand me and also forgive me. When I moved to New York um, and was having some success, but also some very stressful times, I knew that even if everything was trash, Ryan would still hang out with me. We'd still go to the movies. He'd still come to my birthday party. And grab the pizzas when they arrived at the bar. He'd still do his extraordinarily over-the-top George Costanza impression um, in public. So the chorus is, I have lost a hero. I have lost a friend, which I never thought would be directly about losing Ryan. But the chorus ends, um, but for you, darling, I'd do it all again. That's actually a thought I recently wanted to share with Ryan every so often. We'd email each other with something like, Hey, in case something happens, I love you. Um, It made me realize that I could always fuck up and be a person and he'd be there no matter what. And I definitely do all of that again. Uh, The last song is I Don't Feel Like Dancing by Scissor Sisters. Ryan loved A Good Hook, and this is one of my favorite songs he ever shared with me. It reminds me of all the songs he wrote over the years. It's just so sunny and pure. And anytime he put it on in our apartment, he would do um, finger guns to the pew 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 sounds. Ryan always said the perfect song is around three minutes and thirty seconds, and it needs to have a good hook. Of course, I remember I asked him um, how how can he tell a song it is good. And he said, when it makes you feel something. So I found a song he wrote that he said he started at our old apartment, but sent me years later called Manhattan Island. The song has a very sweet, strummy melody, but in true Ryan fashion is about murder. So I'll leave you with the last few lines that made me feel everything. I have testified, girl. It's your turn for the microphone. Don't keep us hanging, darling. Manhattan Island calls us home. Don't you dare leave me alone. You can be the time.
4: I can be the watch that doesn't mind. You are like the sun. I can lie.
1: All right. Well, that was great hearing from everyone. We'll listen to a few more of those memories a little later on in the show. But thanks, everybody, for submitting those. It's been really great to hear everyone else's awesome memories of Ryan as we've been sharing ours today. Coming up next year, though, we have a special contribution from Ryan's best friend, Max Phillips. He and Max have been friends since childhood. Anyone who listened to Ryan on the Yesterday and Today podcast talking about his first exposure to Beatle music will know that it was Max Phillips putting obla di obla da in headphones in Ryan's ears on the school bus. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Amazing. <laughs> that put that maca bug in his blood. So, anyway, Max is going to do a brief overview here of the music that Ryan made, as opposed to the music he enjoyed and listened to. And then we're going to talk about some of our favorite Ryan cuts. So right now I'm going to kick it to Max Phillips.
3: My name is Maxwell Phillips. I was Ryan's best friend ever since my mom set us up on a play date in the second grade. We bonded over our shared nerdy passions and social dysfunctions. As kids, we'd spend days biking around the Chicago suburbs getting into, well, surprisingly very little trouble. And nights, we'd spend watching VHS tapes of things like James Bond, Star Trek, and Back to the Future. Once I gave him a tiny DeLorean replica, and he gave me a little pet treble. As adults, these toys stayed with us wherever we called home as a little reminder of our friendship. Ryan and I learned to love music together from our earliest days. We took piano lessons together in the third grade. I quit in the fourth grade, but Ryan never really stopped learning. We learned about classic rock from my dad's extensive CD collection. Ryan idolized my dad for his love of music, his wit, and his Dean Martin-y charm. Thanks to my dad and our other generous parents, we were lucky to see concerts from The Who, Billy Joel, Elton John, Paul McCartney, and Paul McCartney again. I always knew Ryan would do amazing things. I thought he'd be a rock star, a secret agent, or a time traveler. And he basically was. Ryan's curiosity and fascination with how the world was put together was boundless from an early age, and never really diminished. He'd spend his free time learning about physics equations, doing chemistry experiments, and pondering the ethics of time travel. He was especially drawn to music, though, how it was written and recorded, and why people enjoy it. My dad's CD collection was limited, but included a broad cross-section of the Beatles. The gaps really helped to draw Ryan in and foster that curiosity. We didn't have the internet, and it was difficult to get a clear picture of a band's catalog based on 90s CD reissues and greatest hits compilations. Things like Paul McCartney's All the Best or the greatest hits of Queen and The Cars mixed in with albums like Let It Be, Excitable Boy, and Diamond Dogs. We knew some things were missing, and we would come running to each other with each new discovery. Ryan, I got banned on the run for Christmas. I'm heading over so we can listen to the whole thing and all the bonus content. And we would. Ryan spent a lot of time on my family's upright piano when we were growing up. I had a book of Billy Joel sheet music that he would pull out every time he came over. After he knew every song in there, he tried his hand at writing some of his own. My dad would listen in and offer feedback, usually astonishment that music of any kind was coming out of the family piano, but often a bit of music education. Hey, sorry, Ryan, but I think Paul Simon already wrote that tune. Here, why don't you take Graceland home with you and bring it back tomorrow so we can discuss? Ryan was always reading about music, from books on music theory and rock history to synthesizer manuals and articles on the psychology of music. His passions for knowledge trumped just about anything else. I remember in high school, we skipped a friend's pool party to watch production videos of the Traveling Wilburys. There were real girls at that pool party, in real bathing suits. But there was rock history being made on that DVD, and we were captivated by it. Ryan's curiosity and appetite for new music meant he always wanted to know what music other people were into. He would check in with me often to see what I was listening to, always hoping he'd find something new. Once, about ten years ago, I told him I was in a rut and pretty much only listening to the album Seldom Seen Kid by Elbow. Six months later, I was visiting Ryan in L.A., and he had that album playing on his car stereo. I hadn't thought about the record in a while, but Ryan knew he was going to see me that day and made sure to put on the last thing I recommended to him. Ryan's curiosity really fostered his growth as a musician. He joined the middle school jazz band because he was the only person in the school with a bass guitar. He was always kind of a McCartney guy. From there, he joined some of our classmates as the bass player in their pop-punk cover band, but he knew that playing Blink-182 songs wouldn't keep his attention for long. From high school on, Ryan's bands played original music, written mainly by Ryan and recorded in his parents' basement. The first of these groups was named the Televangelists. They played smart and irreverent music, inspired by guys like Randy Newman, Ben Folds, and Elvis Costello. The spirit of what they were playing back in 2004 is still present in music Ryan was recording last year. Through local shows and mutual friends, Ryan met Max Peranchio. The two bonded quickly through overlapping taste and an abundance of musical talent. Their collaborations always felt a little competitive, and that competition drove their creativity to new heights. Ryan started his record industry career, his own writing and recording would happen in bursts when he found time or inspiration. He would always send me recordings out of the blue, always looking for feedback or ways he could improve, never satisfied until a song was released to the public, and never looking back after it was. In 2011, my father passed away. Ryan took it about as hard as I did. At the funeral, I gave the eulogy and Ryan played Amazing Grace and Ave Maria on the piano while our friend Megan sang. The night before, they practiced at my family's home on the very same upright piano that Ryan played all those years ago. After they ran the funeral songs through exactly once, he pulled out the old Billy Joel seat music from the piano bench. We stayed up for hours and sang every single song again. We knew we had an early morning, but we knew that the music would do us more good than a full night's sleep. The next morning, he was up before anyone else, tying his tie and humming the James Bond theme, just like every other time he wore a suit. The day was hard, but every step was easier with Ryan there. I always thought that Ryan would be a rock star, and in my eyes he was. He left a catalog of work behind, made an impact on the music industry, and made everyone he met think a little bit longer about what they listened to, why, and how it made them feel. His legacy is going to stretch far into the future, Maybe, in that small way, he finally figured out how to time travel.
1: This episode wound up being so long and featuring so many wonderful memories from friends, family, and listeners that we actually need to pause here and continue the rest of our tribute to Ryan Brady in a second installment. Now, don't worry. We're dropping both parts at the same time, so you can continue listening to part two right now if you want. But, you know, think of this like two sides of the record. We're going to stop and flip it over here. Thanks to everyone who joined us so far and look forward to... seeing all of you back here again for part two. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute to help keeping these Now here, This episodes coming, well, they can donate, featuring the wonderful new donation technology that Acast has developed for us. That's right, Acast has helped us out they host the show yeah our hosts Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show they have an Acast supporter feature and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show
12: it can be five bucks a hundred bucks less than a dollar we don't care
1: yeah just something to keep the lights on
12: it's all out of pocket and we do this out of love and that's it and we love you
1: all for listening thank you very much for doing that couldn't said it better myself it's okay
4: <laughs> All right,
1: well, bye then.